Hey, what's happening all my brothers and sisters of the hunting and fishing community? I'm Justin Geike and this is Chase Outdoors, the podcast. Thanks for joining me again here, guys. I really appreciate it. As always, it means a lot to uh, come together with people, even though uh, just through uh, technical audio to discuss the topics and the things that we love about hunting and fishing. You know, one thing with me owning a retail store is is it's really given me a, a cool viewpoint on you know, just different parts of the industry that other people don't really get to see. And it, guiding has done that for me, just getting to fish with people from all 50 states and different uh, different countries and politicians, that gives me a view. Uh, the experience of doing the TV show, that gives you a whole nother view on the industry. And after you've been doing it for like, you know, 20, 30 years almost like I have, now you get a lot of cool experiences. And one of the things that's so cool about just the different avenues is just the people that you meet the friendships that develop, and uh, that's no different today uh, with my guest. I've got Jake Orvets with me with Ken Jeffries and Associates. And for you, the consumers or the listeners, you've never heard of Ken Jeffries and Associates before, but uh, what is such a huge part of the retail side of the industry with all these dealers is working with companies who are out there to support our products and promote and educate and do the marketing side of the things directly with me that then results in us working together to put the best products that we can put together on the shelf so that you, the customers, can have more success hunting and fishing. And uh, Jake and I have gone back, uh, gosh, how many years now? We probably... uh, I was just thinking about that. Uh, I think it's going to be coming up on eight years from when we first met. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So I, went up, I went up to Medford right before my kid was born, and that was about the time. And uh, there's just, you know, you, you run through so many different salesmen and you got a lot of different personalities when it comes to salesmen. Some of these guys are just, hey, here's me. Let me shove my product down your throat. And with some guys, you develop relationships. And I think that part's really important because this industry, as far as the sales rep portion of things, is constantly changing. You know, you've gone through a number of different positions within the industry, but a lot of times it's the same faces that are recycled kind of over and over. And uh, I'm excited to bring, I guess, this part of the business uh, to the consumer so that they can kind of understand how things happen and why they happen. Um, but uh, it's cool, it, it, the fact that we're talking um, rep background and in, in information and products is because we're in Reno, Nevada right now at the National Archery Buyers Association show. And what that is, is a lot of the, you know, I guess I'd say probably the premier uh, archery dealers, especially on the western half of the country, uh, come together and we meet with guys like you and uh, go and talk about the products and try to find what's the best fit for our store. But uh, the cool thing to me when dealing with a lot of the reps and I find the things, the guys who I develop the relationships with that we've got, um, you know, mutual interests or whatever, is obviously the guys that same, share the same level of passion for hunting and fishing. And Jake, you're certainly that. Uh, live in where in Minnesota? Uh, I live in a small town called Maple Lake, Minnesota, which pretty much sits right between um, about an hour and 15 minutes northwest of the Twin Cities and about 35 miles southeast of St. Cloud. So right on that I-94 corridor, kind of right in the right in what I'd consider the central heartland part of Minnesota. Yeah, which is nice because it puts you just a little bit closer to the west, which is something you've got a passion for. We as Wisconsinites have to drive through your uh, miserable Viking state to uh, get to the good stuff too. Um, but, uh, you know, living in Minnesota and having that proximity to you that you have to states like the Dakotas, I mean, what makes up 
uh, most of what you're doing in the outdoors? So, so my my main background um, from a you know being a small kid, obviously, you know everybody starts out doing some fishing with grandpa and dad or whatever, and, and I love fishing. Don't get me wrong, but my passion really, I I think my my eleventh yeah my eleventh Christmas, um, I got my very first compound bow, and and I know my parents they had a scrape and and work probably some extra hours and and all that to uh to get that for me but it what it, was it it was a uh it was a pse spirit yep yeah pse spirit i and think just about everybody's I think first so. bow is a pse mine was a browning timberwolf yep 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 it was either brown yeah, yeah i mean back yep. then in that that time frame you know you, you pretty much had your three big your big players and you know my dad's first bow was an xi and that was only like a year year and a half before I got mine but anyways you know i got that bow and started shooting and and you know like a year later or a year and a half had success you know killed my first deer with a bow and it just kind of took off from there um you know i, I bow hunting is still my number one um i don't even like using the word hobby because if you're a serious bow hunter or, or hunter in general it, it is a lifestyle but bow hunting is definitely number one um i love trapping um i love seeing my kids take an interest in just being in the outdoors i really don't i haven't even pushed the hunting thing per se yet on the girls but they're they're, they're they've been with me on some kills and and you know it's it's fun so yeah bow hunting bow hunting is definitely my number one um my number one outdoor uh hobby Predator, predators up there pretty good for yeah too, yeah general, yeah right? yeah a lot of predators to be after and you know um i like coyote hunting i like you know i like any i really enjoy i guess if you know broaden it i really enjoy hunting anything that i can call in that's really that's why i love hunting during the rut um so i love going to like western south dakota during the rut because the deer out there are so much more responsive to the horns and, and just, you know, grunts and, and all that, you, you can find a lot of success in a hunt, even if you never even draw that bow back. You know, if you call in, you know, there's been days you call in four to six different bucks. You might never even think about shooting them, but um, they come in looking for for the horns or, or, or you know, snort wheeze, whatever it is. Um, to me, that's a win. Um, same thing, you know, duck and goose, you know. Grew up doing that and really got you know got into the competitive calling aspect of that so doing the calling contests and all that so i, I just really enjoy calling in animals and, and that falls right in line with the predator now with the, with the calling in in the dakotas um i haven't i haven't hunted specifically whitetails during the rut out there we were just out there last year for mule deer i've been out there you know for antelope and mule deer before that but usually in in october do you think that that places like there you know, Texas, obviously, Montana, Wyoming. Do you think that the success of the calling is because of a lack of hunters doing that or because of a lower population density of bucks or like Wisconsin? I mean, you can be successful at specific times when a deer is in, a, in that mood, but it's not like where you see people banging horns together, even in Kansas in comparison right. to Wisconsin. Right. It's it's nothing, nothing alike. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I mean... You know, we all we all sit there at the beginning of October, um, and and you have these visions, of these you know, these mornings in a tree stand. It's crisp, it's cool, and and you you start tickling the horns together, and and you hear brush breaking because this buck's coming to check out 
what's going on. And and you're right, it can happen. It does happen every year in Minnesota and Wisconsin, but not on a regular basis. And I really feel, um, you know, and I'm not a deer biologist by any standards. I I just go off of what I've seen, you know, from experience. Um, but the areas that have a larger population of mature bucks where there's more competition um it definitely that's that's the places that you're seeing more success with hitting the horns together or just calling in general so as much as you love calling it's got to be super rewarding to be representing a company like primos now huh yeah yeah so yeah um so getting on you know you obviously introduced uh, that i work for kjna um and so our organization, we currently have, there's 25 people in, in that work for us in the office, but mainly all field reps. Um, we cover the eastern 37 states. And yes, so we're, we're super fortunate to have brands like Primos, uh, Gold Tip, Bee Stinger, um, B3, um, the Kinsey brands, October Mountain Products, Elevation Cases and Quivers um, on the archery side of things. And then we, we also carry... Um, some of the best selling gun accessory lines in the market right now so yeah we're, we're extremely fortunate um you know as a kid i think you know you everybody watched um the truth about hunting videos oh, God, and yeah. dvds you know and and, yeah. and watching will and and mr jimmy you know do their thing for years and and then to actually you know now being you know literally taking phone calls from will primos on a somewhat occasional basis and, and sitting in meetings with both of them it, you know, it's it's pretty rewarding. Um, you hung up on me for that last week. I did. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, like I told you then, when when Will Primos is beeping in, you, that's one phone call you take. So, um, but yeah, so you know, it, it's cool. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's still a job, right? You got, you know, it's not all just all playing. It's uh, we got a job to do. We we are there to you know service our dealers. Um, as as, as you you know you know like when you need something that you know you reach out to a rep or your contact for a company and you expect us to answer the phone um to take care of whatever it is that you need you know so it's just amazing when you think of a company like primos i mean will's the real deal you know anyone who's met him you know uh, a quiet kind uh gentleman but an absolute mad scientist when it comes to talking to animals you know i just when we look at the influences i mean like the hardwood grunter for a grunt too i mean how long has that been out forever well it's funny i'm watching you thumb through that new primos catalog and you know a lot of a lot of times people are like you know do you guys come up with anything new this year well at the end of the day animals haven't started making new sounds right (laughs) i mean a turkey they gobble the same way they they did from whenever they were here you know whenever they were created but um to keep the consumers interested yeah i mean we come out with new products you know we we a lot of times might just revamp something but to answer your question that that yeah the hardwoods grunner and you know the can call those are products that go back to the late 90s early 2000s oh yeah you know (laughs) i mean think how many think how many i, I think I, I say this all the time like referring to the can call just because i see it on that page mm-hmm. like how many cans have been tipped upside down since they were created unbelievable <laughs> i mean millions yeah. right I, i'll I mean, never forget my first can experience i was i was hunting just outside of uh rothschild on some public land and i was in this big pine stand 
and, and I've got like this 140 incher just going 100 to nothing chasing this doe. And like just immediately, like the only thing that I could think is to flip the can over. Mm-hmm. And I flip that can over, and that doe is running 100 to nothing and stops on a dime with that <laughs> buck right up behind her. Yep. It, it was just such a, I can't imagine in a situation where an animal's got a fight or flight response that you've got a call that's so powerful that it stops a doe in that situation. And, and at the time, she was probably 80, 90 yards from me and came to investigate 20, 30 yards. Right. You know, I mean, that could have been easily a very successful harvest. It was a very successful hunt. But just, I'll never forget, it was literally the first time I was so eager to try the can and had that yeah. response to it. And how many guys? I mean, thousands. Dude, thousands. Dude. I bought a can, I flipped it over, I killed a deer. Or how many elk have been killed with a hoochie mama? I was just going to bring it up. God. The can and the hoochie mama, they go hand in hand. I mean, those are two, those two calls have probably been responsible for more deaths mm-hmm. in the wildlife population than any other calls on the market. It's funny, too. Like, I remember the still grunter. Mike, mm-hmm. that was the first grunt tube i think my grandpa ever right. had and he right. still has it yep. and he still takes it out and yeah and uh, i still hear it every once in a while yep. <laughs> through the yep. woods from where i'm sitting but i yep. mean it's amazing but for sure i mean there's always that interest to innovate and come out with new things i mean i mean it's been a few years but the buck roar had a, a, a yeah. giant explosion so, onto the market yeah so we came out with the buck roar too last year um same guts same internal guts um we did change the snort wheeze chamber a bit um, made it a little bit louder, um, you know, and, and it's a different color. Um, and then the way that it mo- it can moan on your on the armband on your arm, change that up a little bit. But you know, it, it kind of goes back like if something's not broke, don't fix it, right? Oh, I mean, right. It, it's it's a better. I feel it's a better call than the original buck roar. Just I I like a call that I can get loud with, right? Because if you're sitting in this room and you don't need a loud call but you get out in a tree and you got a 20 mile an hour wind in your face and you need to reach out across you know an alfalfa field you want to be able to get loud so um the the best calls in the market are the ones that you can you can tone them down if you have to choke them out a little bit and then i do like like i said a a louder call yeah that bottleneck at the end is what really allows that air pressure to come back and not lock that read up and that is so valuable like yeah, I just I never like elk hunters do a great job of intentionally making a tremendous amount of noise, correct? Raking trees and stomping and stuff like that, and I find so time so many times like whitetail hunters get really timid with their grunting well, and, and stuff, and, and sometimes yeah. It's, and here's the deal: like we can talk about that a little bit, and I'll I'll try to not go into too much detail with it. That's all right. But I've hunted. Um, so if they don't like it, they'll shut it off. <laughs> that's right. That's right. If you don't like it, shut it off. Hit that fast forward button. Um, so I, I hunted at an outfitter down in Iowa for turkey one year, and we got to talking deer hunting and their calling techniques. And they every one of their deer sets, we've seen them because we've seen the deer stands in the woods when we were turkey hunting. We were on the same ground. Every one of their stands had a big rope tied to it, and at the base of that tree, they had pretty healthy size, not going to call them, you know, logs, but they were not small sticks, right? And I said, what is the deal with that? And he's like, that's one of our, that's that's our go-to to kill a deer. With our calling sequence, we're making noise. And, and dude, like, I can't believe the light bulb never went off. Like, when you're sitting 16, 20 feet up in a tree and you're grunting and you're rattling, that's all they're hearing. 
But when two bucks are going at it in the woods or a buck's chasing a doe, what are they hearing? They're hearing a brah, brah, but they're also hearing the branches breaking, the leaves oh, rustling. Yeah. Everything that, all the chaos that ensues in a chase or a fight, it, they're, they're hearing that. But if, if we're not replicating that, like, yeah, why would they come in to check that out? You know, and um, so a buddy of mine down in Iowa, he actually he passed away last year in, in a four-wheeler accident. His name was Todd Pringitz. He created um, a call that replicated, and I'm glad I picked one up from him, it replicates the the crunching of the leaves the the that chaos right mm-hmm. you can use it in conjunction with a grunt tube you can use it just as a buck making pawn and scraping making a scrape right um so there's guys thinking outside the box and that's the kind of stuff that's cool you know guys that have tree trunks freaking tied to a, a rope that they can drop and bang around while they're calling mm-hmm. you know and, and i mean when when your job is dependent on your clients success as you know as a fishing guide um, you're willing to try different things, yeah. and that's what that's what this industry needs is innovation, right? People thinking outside the box, because otherwise, it will get boring real quick. So there's yeah, there's there's no doubt, and you know I think that the you know at the end of the day, I mean it's not rocket science. We're trying to outthink something that technically doesn't have the brain capacity that we do. It's just their brain isn't filled with all the trash and garbage that we've got torn in our life like politics and right you know things and, like and, that so and, i mean yeah. eat eat survive and reproduce the, and the, um yes. highly more focused on um less things than we are all we're trying to do is get into that wheelhouse and i think that's a really cool idea i mean it just goes to show to and i'm just flipping through this catalog here i mean how many hot dogs have resulted in kyle i mean it's got to be really cool to be uh, you know the blood hunter light that thing mm-hmm. was i mean this yep. this whole catalog with primos is just filled with innovation but you're talking about making that noise it's funny um when chase was born i was on my week of paternity leave and and i i couldn't after like six days i had to go back and check to make sure the place was still standing and and uh behind the shop there's a few acres that i had a tree stand in and i'm like well it was pretty slow there's not that much going on i got like 45 minutes i'm gonna grab my bow and go sit back there you know this stupid screwing steps that are you know just death traps i climb up the first one and the thing shifts and i lost my grip and i fell backwards and i made the biggest loudest crash and i remember being so mad at myself i'm like are you kidding me this is the last chance you're gonna have to hunt for like you know forever and i quick ran up the tree and i was in a hurry and i and i was mad because i made so much noise when i fell um just lucky i didn't hurt myself but I no more and sat down, and I had a buck running in, looking all over for what made that crashing sound, yeah. and and I shot him all like seven inches of him. Yeah. Well, hey, you know what? I, I you talk to enough guys, and you hear so many stories that are the exact same. And whether it's a guy that's kicking snow off his platform on his deer stand in the morning, it's got a crust on it, so it's, it sounds like a deer pond making a scrape, right? Mm-hmm. It and. Just like anything else, calling, I think it all is dependent on the mood of that deer on that particular day because, let's face it, there's other days you can walk through the woods trying to be as quiet as a church mouse and you break one branch and all you see is freaking deer blowing out the other end even if you got the wind in your face, right? So it's very dependent on the time of year. Obviously, during the rut, we all know bucks react different to everything. They get stupid. They're, They're... they're aggressive they just you know they're curious yada yada i mean you can go down the list but yeah um 
so yeah it, it's funny it's you know it's kind of a cliche thing you got to be quiet as a hunter and, and stalking through the woods there's certain certain weeks of the year i think that's complete wrong yeah. <laughs> well before we uh, before we do what we do and just talk about hunting the whole time i want to touch on a couple of the products yeah um you know one of the things i want to touch on yet yeah, we talked about primos but i mean bink bee stinger is just one of those companies that is absolutely synonymous with archery hunting with stabilization when you yep. when you come when you come to stabilizers and you think i want a quality stabilizer i mean it's just one of those things where people automatically say bee stinger right and and i think that stabilizers are always one of those things that have really bothered me about being an archery technician because everyone's always either i need a stabilizer especially when i worked in the big boxes you know you're setting up the bow package and grab a $20 stabilizer because I need a stabilizer and then they leave and they don't have the right one or didn't need one at all. Um, so I guess one of the things I'd like to touch on and Bee Stinger has been probably predominantly huge in the target archery realm, but I think we're looking at hunting now with the same type of quality of importance and technicality and application. So yeah. talk to me about like there's a lot of stabilizer companies out there. There is. And, and most of them are beasting yeah. or knockoffs. It, well, it, to, to, yes. I can say that. You, you can, <laughs> yes. No, there is. I mean, if you look around, um, and, and we'll get into the microhex um, variety of, of bee stingers, but yeah, in the last year, there's been a lot more smaller diameter stabilizers that hit the market, right? Mm -hmm. We were the first. But to, to go back like to the roots, where bee stingers started was on the the 3d circuit um guys that were shooting the bow hunter class so you're limited on on your length of stabilizer so and a bee stinger is not okay so to even back up more back in the early 90s a stabilizer was more so used as a vibration dampening system than it was actually a stabilizer right <laughs> that was never the intended purpose of bee stinger when they came out it kind of they fell into that trap it's not a trap it was just because the bows were not as good as they are now there was a lot more vibration so um what what they ended up doing is they came out to stable their first stabilizer and on the front end of that instead of the small weights that that everybody's used to the original bee stingers um had the big pancake weight right because mm -hmm. they're too to make a stabilizer work, you have to have an X amount. It's a, a, you know, everybody's different. It's a different equation. X amount of weight on the front is going to balance out better for, for Justin than X amount of weight on the front is going to balance out for Jake, right? So what they're doing is they're putting their weights on the front and not breaking that overall length barrier that they had to stay within to be in the bow hunter class. That mm -hmm. was like the original thought process on Bee Stinger, and it just, they got very popular there. And started taking off and then you know obviously we got into the um you know advancing the stabilizers and they've kind of evolved right and went from our standard diameter bars and then two years ago we came out with the micro hex series which you're looking at right now the micro hex is really a game changer because um not just in the hunting side of things but on the target side because it's a smaller diameter bar you're gonna have Say you're shooting a, a feeder round or a 900 round, and all those tournaments are notorious for being windy. You're out on a line, out on like basically a football field somewhere where there's no wind breaks. And the smaller that bar, if you got a crosswind, is going to be less surface area for that wind to move your bow around, right? 
So that's super important, but what's on the inside of that stabilizer is what really sets it apart is um, it's, a, it's a product called Conerveil. So it's Conerveil technology. Conerveil is a dampening product that's actually woven, there's a layer of it woven into the carbon. It's not just like an empty carbon tube that's shot full of a, you know, a, a rubber. It, that's not it. Um, Conerveil is actually impregnated like into the carbon that we're using. Um, and it's used in fighter, fighter jet wings um, to dampen the vibration, you know, your high-end carbon bikes high-end i'm pretty sure high-end carbon golf clubs and tennis racks that's Mm -hmm. we're the only company in our industry that are allowed to use it so we kind of have we really have a a one-up on everybody else there um and just the the way that those bars react to the shot or even um you know a lot of guys as you get a longer stabilizer out front when you even draw your bow back there's a there's a time frame you know uh before that bow settles down it's you know from when using my standard bars to my micro hexes i mean i've seen a dramatic decrease in in that recovery time there so um you know and and now the sidebar thing has become super popular yeah i say the counter slide yeah counter slide's been really really popular because what you're doing is you're 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 doing exactly what it's called you're countering that weight of your say your you know your sight and your quiver full of arrows on your right if you're a right-handed shooter on the right side of your bow um you know so you can balance that all out because at the end of the day i mean you know we're all pushing the limits on on you know our shots and whatnot and having a level bow is is key now especially for us guys that go out west i mean we're taking longer shots but not taking on ethical shots we're just taking longer shots yeah we're just more capable because of our absolutely the equipment is so good right and that i kind of want to touch on that you know the bows are so good now that you know to have have a a stabilizer full of rubber and danglies hanging off it it's it's not necessary the the main purpose on a stabilizer is to do exactly that and it's to stabilize that bow um you know we make the weights removable for a reason because just like it touched on one guy is going to want four ounces out front with eight off the side or the next guy's going to want three and nine you know so there's a lot of different things you can how you can manipulate your stabilizer to fit you every bow is different the you know the way that you just even hold that bow in your hand can change how you need your weight so um you know that we've seen i mean once you shoot a bow with either a counter slide or a sidebar on it, um, I don't believe you'll ever shoot one without it. I completely agree because especially like anybody who shoots a lot realizes how incredibly important that bubble level on their sight is. Yep. Especially when we're talking about long range shooting. You know, I, I can shoot 90 yards from my mailbox to the back of my lot and I, and, I, and I do that all summer long. And it's vehemently obvious to me that if that bubble is where it's supposed to be, my groups are dramatically different. Yeah. The problem is, is you can't have that great tightness in your group come if you're fighting to have that bubble be there. Yeah. It has to just come up, open your hand loose, and have it be there. Yeah. And the only way that you can accomplish that, to me, is with something like the counter slide. Because you can't just go and grab a stabilizer off of a shelf and put it on your bow and expect it to be there. I mean, there's a lot of bows. I can name two in specific that, quite honestly, shouldn't have any weight in the front. Right. You know, just because there's so much top fall after the shot that it's it it, it the bow just doesn't balance well that way. You know, and, and I used to shoot um, 
a lot of weight on the back um, previously, but when I had my Redworks last year, it wasn't that case at all. That, that bow is balanced really well. The bow tacks are extremely well balanced without the stabilization on at all until you put your accessories on it. And that's where you need that benefit of that counter slide to really fine tune. You change anything, you change grip, even if you change your release, a lot of times that can result in a oh, need for a change. Yeah, people don't realize, uh, I mean, this archery game is such an intricate thing where, you know, it's, you know, it's the butterfly effect. If you change this, it's going to change everything down, down the the way you know i mean it, it could be as much as you know a lot of people don't think changing your d loop and not making sure it's in the same spot that it was or your peep height i mean everything <laughs> everything or oh i'll take a pound and a half i need to take a pound and a half or two pounds off my limbs but i'm not gonna change i'm not gonna check my zero again right like, all that stuff changes you know so oh, it's huge just you know. in in tune i mean just in the paper tune and yeah. the bear shaft tune like it's nuts that's one of the things i love about it you can literally yeah. obsess about it but, you know, like that's – at the end of the day, I think that that's what makes beasting are really great. I mean, obviously there is there's the vibration dampening aspect of it, but the adjustability in ultimately getting that bow to sit in your hand where it's supposed to be, you know, they've been at the forefront of doing that better than most for yeah. forever. So yeah, For sure. You know, it, it, those two companies that we just talked about with you, Primos and with uh, – in. Beasting are both been around for a long time, but uh, one of the hot new brands, if you would, for you has been B3. Yeah. Um, I'm finding that in the store, you know, it's it's starting to get out there. People are starting to learn about it. But um, if, if you're looking for a new release, absolutely without question, B3 needs to be part of that conversation. So yeah, I mean, so give the backstory because I mean, it's pretty yeah. obvious. It's yeah. It's one of those, you know, we'll call yeah. it an industry thing. It is an industry thing, right? So um, so I've had two jobs in this industry. So I, I worked for a company called The Outdoor Group who owned um, Scott, Scott Archery, CV Sites, Slick Trick, Elite Archery, uh, Dual Game Calls, a couple others, Winner's Choice, blah, blah, blah. Um, but so I, I sold Scott, Scott releases for six and a half years. Well, the... The people that TOG bought Scott from was the Scott family. Bill Scott was the grandpa, and and Joe Scott was the grandson, and and they lived in a you know in Clay City, Kentucky, and great people, and and you know they they sold the company, and it, unfortunately that's just kind of the way that this industry's been going the last couple of years is big companies buy the little companies, and then the the great part about little companies is their reaction time and. And their quickness to take care of issues for the dealers. Well, some of these bigger companies aren't, you know, they're not they're not customer service based as much. Anyways, not to you know go off and bash on another company, but long story short, after five years, their the Scotts family's non compete was up. So they went back to the drawing board and um, started designing some some new releases. Right. And in the meantime, I had taken a job with KJNA and. And luckily for me, the the new national sales manager of B3 and myself worked together side by side for six and a half years and very close friends. And, you know, um, they were looking for representation and I, you know, kind of helped them through that and let him and my boss sort out all the, the financials and, and the fine details. And luckily we came out on top and ended up being the, the rep group that they chose. So B3 
um, you know, it, it does have some, there's some similarities there. Um, well, one thing I do tell a lot of people, if you take the strap off, the same lady that, that made Scott release straps for years is, is cutting and sewing their straps for B3 right in-house in Kentucky, right? So that's, that's where the big similarities are. If you actually take the heads and just set them side by side, obviously a single jaw and a, a dual caliper are going to look the same, right? Because they operate the same, but there is, there's quite a bit of difference there. Um, the, the best part about B3, every, there's a release for everybody. Um, anywhere from $45 up to three, $300 on some of our handhelds, you know? So there's literally something for everyone. It's all American made, lifetime guarantee, no questions asked. Um, and you know, their, their big promise to the dealer, um, especially on the wrist straps is that we have same day ship. So if you get me an order at 10 AM, you know, 11 o'clock, you know, Kentucky time, um, it's probably going to be on the UPS truck by one o'clock. So that's a huge, a huge factor because what we've seen in the release business for whatever reason, the last few years, um, is lack of supply. The supply chain kind of was diminished. Um, and the main reason for that is because they're outsourced to China. A lot of these companies have went overseas with their releases. So that's not as quickly as just pulling them off a machine, polishing them, sending them anodizing in Kentucky, putting them together in Kentucky and shipping them, right? You got to wait for your supply to come across the ocean. So. And, we'll, and we'll see if Corona oh, it's, is going to create a whole new unforeseen it is. mess in it's, this it's, industry. It's, so. it's our, it's, yeah. And I mean, our industry is such a small little piece of the pie, right? But it is going to, I mean, without a doubt, um, it's going to create some issues. Yeah. Some big time issues. So, but the Scott family has <clears throat> always been top notch when it comes to releases. Yep. B three is the Scott family making releases again. The one thing that is nice, in, in what you kind of touched on, is just there's something to be said, especially in archery industry. Above all, above any archery or industry I've ever been in, there's such a benefit to dealing with the little guy. That that passion, that intricacy, that attention to detail, that drive behind it. I mean, archery, even though it is a huge, you know, activity worldwide, it still comes down to being a very family-based, small company, relationship-built, you know, mon-pa store type thing. And if you want things done right, especially from a manufacturing side, it seems like it's the small guys. And the same thing, too, for the retail side. I mean, you know, there's the guys who've been wrenching on bows for a long time are doing it for a long time for a reason because they're passionate about it and they're good at it. And I think that's such the value to, especially with a show like this, which is, you know, predominantly based on independent pro shops like ourselves. I think it really fits into the niche nicely, but you know, we can go on. They have obviously calipers and single hook releases for everybody, but the one release that I'm really excited about is that exit. Let's yeah. touch on that real quick. Yeah, we... so it's it's really hard to, you know, uh, as a, a listener to try to picture this. So the best thing to do would go get on um, b3archery.com, look up the exit or just Google it when you get a chance. But to, to your point, so we've seen a, a direct need in this industry for a inexpensive handheld that is quality right huge huge gap yeah there's a huge gap there i mean there's you know there's a couple around that 150 to 160 dollar range that are good um but we wanted we wanted something in that 130 dollar price range 
we wanted something that was, I'm going to refer to it as your gateway handheld release because there's a lot of guys out there that want to try it, but they're not willing to spend the $200 um, on something they're not going to, they're not sure if they're going to like. So they designed, the guys, the, the mad scientists, the engineers at B3 designed the exit. So the, the ergonomics of it is phenomenal. Um, there's, there's four internal moving parts to this release, which is not very many for somebody that's never taken apart a handheld. And if you don't know what you're doing, I do not recommend taking apart a handheld. Um, cause there's a lot of springs and, and, and everything else going on in there. But so there's four moving parts. There's no locking mechanism on the outside. And this is a thumb, this is a thumb button release, not just a hinge. So, um, you know, so all, every time you pull that thumb trigger, it automatically resets that hook on the inside. So all you got to do is re, you know, put put the hook through your D loop and close it, and it's going to lock. You can feel the, you can feel the physical latch hit, and you can shoot again. Um, there is one, there's a set screw on the on the post, so you can adjust your trigger travel. Um, for those of you that don't know what that is, your trigger travel is. Um, kind of like a, a, a Timney trigger, right, for a rifle. It's just got a different feel to it. It breaks very clean. So if you don't want a lot of travel, you're going to shoot a Timney. If, if you like a sloppy trigger, you could shoot a very less expensive release so or trigger. So kind of the same thing. I don't like a trigger that's moving. When I start putting pressure on it, I want that to surprise me and break clean, um, not keep creeping, I guess is yeah. a, a good word to use. So well, anyways... I'm excited. I think we're going to do really well with it. One thing I like about the exit, as far as for the bow hunter, is the ability to click it onto your D loop and let it hang. I think that's a huge feature to it. Um, a lot of these, a lot of guys, just you know, especially Wisconsin or whitetail bow hunters, tree stand guys, you know, click it and forget it. You know, it's there for you. You grab it back, put your thumb on the release, yeah. squeeze and and, and, and and kill a huge buck. I think that would be the best thing for all of us. Um, so check that out. All, obviously, all of the uh, products that we were talking about today, Gold Tip, Primos, B3, you can go ahead and Google those. Also, too, those are going to be up, the assortments, very soon on uh, shop.chase-outdoors.com. Um, you know, I just I hope this gives you a really cool insight, a little bit to what uh, Jake and all these other reps do, talking about some of the new products and some of the old products and how much they still matter. Um, as always... We really appreciate you guys joining us. If uh, if you're new to the listener, obviously, by all means, please uh, go ahead and check some of the old episodes. Go ahead and hit that like or subscribe button and uh, stick with us as we continue to touch on all the uh, topics of hunting and fishing. In this, this greatest country on earth, the U.S. of A. And uh, Jake, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, bud. As always, everybody, God bless. Good luck on the water and the woods, and we'll talk to you next week.